Welcome, everybody, to the Quorum Sense podcast. I'm John O'Free, your host, and I'm joined today by a very special man, Mr. Charlie Arnott, all the way from Australia. And I want to start this podcast with the question, Charlie, with what you do in farming and education and, uh, you know, uh, I know you understand you've got a meat brand. What about what you do at the moment excites you the most? What gets you sprung out of bed in the morning? Uh, lots of things, Jono, and, and hello um, from Burua, Australia, and uh, thanks for having me on the show. Um, what gets me out of bed? Uh, well, you know, like most farmers, um, either a, a, um, a, a bloody, not a crow, or either kookaburra. It's kookaburras at the moment get me out of bed, uh, or, my, or my 5 a.m. alarm. Um, but what keeps me out of bed is, um, obviously, well, not obviously, but for me, the opportunity to grow nutritiously dense food um, and in doing so, you know, helping, enabling our landscape to heal. Now that sounds like a pretty, pretty corny kind of a thing, but that, that, that is a, is a wonderful privilege. You know, it's a privilege that, um, I'm in a position where I can do that, but I'm living on a farm. My family's here. Um, we step out every day into a beautiful landscape and that affords us the opportunity. Um, and that comes with responsibility to, to, to enable it to heal and grow really good food from it. You know, we're selling our lamb to a local butcher and that's coming going into Sydney and all over the place. Um, and just seeing it, I, I won't say transform, it doesn't have like to transform before our eyes, but just having lived here my whole life, uh, understanding the where it's been, you know, the crimes I've committed in these paddocks over many years of a, as a, as a conventional farmer, which is fine, that's just what we did. Um, and then uh, the opportunity that presents it, itself and has for some years now to um, to help it help it heal, you know. And I can see it. There are some you know small examples where you can see it healing nearly before your very eyes. And there's ones that takes it takes years, you know. So, mate, that's what um, that that's what uh, that blows my hair back every morning. <laughs> and so, tell us a bit about the property that you, you've grown up there. It's obviously uh, family land. Tell us a bit about the the land that you're on. We're on, we're on Wiradjuri country here. Um, uh, that's the local you know indigenous um, uh, mob that um, inhabited one of the one of the largest actually area or, or, or sort of um, nations uh, in Australia, I believe, in, along the Lachlan River. Um, anyway, so that's that's where we are. Um, there's still signs of that here and there. We've got a few scar trees, and we, we often find. Um, you know, artifacts, which is, it just fascinates me. Um, so, and it's, it's hilly to undulating. Um, there's a lot of gum trees, like there's everywhere in Australia. Um, we are doing our best to plant more and plant exotic species as well. Um, you know, that's something we, I appreciate and acknowledge the fact that this landscape's been, is very different to what it was 230, 40 years ago. Um, I don't think we're going to get it back to that exact sort of state. I don't think we should, because doing that sort of, isn't necessarily what the, the, the country needs right now. So we plant a lot of exotic species, oaks and elms and honey locust and whatever else we can get our hands on, uh, desert ash. Um, we've got sheep, we've got cattle, uh, we've got a few pigs. The pigs are mainly just for us to keep our, our freezers full of bacon. Um, and yeah, fat lambs and shorthorn, shorthorn, um, shorthorn cattle is um, our breed of choice. We've been doing that, you know, breeding them as a family for for 70 years or so more. Um, so that's kind of, you know, a snapshot of the animals in the landscape, um, the type of landscape. We have some improved, you know, paddocks where we, 
many, many years ago, sowed species. A lot of it is native country, so it's actually um, hasn't been so-called improved. We put biodynamics out here and there. We've we've grazed it um, holistically or, or, or um, managed grazing, time control grazing, soil grazing, what are you going to call it? Um, everywhere. That's what our, our, we've got many, many paddocks that we've broken things up into. So that's kind of a picture of what it is. It's, you know, it's it used to be a, um, a very, um, a burrower, mixed farm at Burrawa, you know, that, and so sheep and cattle and crops. We don't do any crops anymore. We do a bit of multi-species pasture cropping, but um, we're not using any chemical on the landscape. We have in the last year or two um, had to use some conventional drenches and sheep um, and some cattle just because of the seasons have been very challenged. Well, interesting and good seasons, but challenging. Just interesting summers. We've had wet summers, which the landscape, I now appreciate how much the landscape needs those dry, hot summers to kind of just as a, sort of a point in time to sort of the sort of the break of season into a new season and what that does for the landscape and the pasture and the soil. So mate, that's that's hopefully a bit of a snapshot of mm. what we do, what we're doing. And what are some of the, some of the sort of climate uh, extremes or weather extremes like you get really hot or really cold? What what are the sort of the yeah. the highs and the lows of of your climate? Yeah, well, we, we're traditionally, they, they sort of traditionally call this area a Mediterranean climate. So, you know, wet winter, dry summer. You might have said that maybe once upon a time. But if you look at the long term, 180 years worth of data, it's two inches every month of the year. You know, so it's um, 25, what's that, 24 inches, 25 inches. Uh, pretty consistently, um, obviously, year to year, it does fluctuate. We've had very wet summers, unusually wet summers. So, say 625 mil of rain, we might normally get, I think, the rolling rainfall at the moment might be 800, 900. Um, and that has been the case for the last couple of years. Temperatures, you know, we get down, we, we frost here. Um, we get down to probably maximum minus three, you know, like the cold, frosty mornings. Uh, winter might get into the, might get double digits if you're lucky in winter. Um, but in summer, we where we can get e very easily into the high thirties and early forties. Um, so I guess it's quite a there is quite an extreme range of temperature um, uh, throughout the year. Yeah, you know, within season, it's not too bad; it's bearable. But um, yeah, it does take you by surprise. We do get late frost sometimes, and your tomatoes get smoked. Um, those sort of things, or you know, fruit sets interrupted by frost. So. Um, having just been to New Zealand and caught, caught up with you a couple of weeks ago and been down there at um, Lake Hawaii Station um, and seen that high country there, you know, that was, that, that's, that's a whole new, that's just crazy. I've never experienced anything quite like that there. Or anywhere, I should say. Um, the, I guess the extremes, you know, going up 1,000 metres within half an hour and the difference in temperature, um, we just don't get that here. You know, our, 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 we go from like 600 to maybe 750 max, you know, is kind of where we, that's our, that's our, <laughs> our change in elevation. <laughs> we think that's a lot. <laughs> so the other day when I took you up the hill into the fog and we got lost and had to turn around and go back, that was probably a bit more altitude than you used to, even though it was only probably half our altitude. Well, that's right. You were saying, because we couldn't see up you know, further up and, and I, I just simply couldn't see anything higher than where we were. And you were saying, oh, this is the low country. I'm going, really? <laughs> <laughs> what's, up, what's up there? So, um, no, that was a lovely drive around we had. I want to come back to Charlie as a, as a whippersnapper, as a, as a young anglebiter. Mm. 
what was it like growing up where you grew up? Was it on the farm you're on now? Yeah, it was, Jono. Um, I grew up here. Um, uh, it was... Well, let's it not was... say grow up because that's overrated. <laughs> I'm, I was going to say I wasn't even mature. I didn't mature. I, um, I, my, life, my, my life progressed um, uh, here. Uh, I was getting older here. How do we say it now? Um, uh, and it was, I've got to say, I loved it. And I still do. I mean, it, it was a lovely childhood. Nature was a playground. We worked hard. Dad was had a very good work ethic. You know, we were out helping him. We were doing whatever he was doing. We were there and loving it. My brother, as he as he, um, uh, uh, he got me a nervous now to use the word grow up. As he as he aged, as he got older, he um, he wasn't so keen. He's much more um, uh, you know much more of a, an artist and a and creative in that sense. And farming wasn't necessarily his thing, but he still appreciated what it, what it was here. So mate, it was a lovely childhood. Um, lots of, yeah, lots of, lots of thistles were chipped with, with, um, with hose you know, earning money. Um, we, we used to joke that we'd go to school to have a break. You know, that was our holiday time. We would get, we got flogged uh, in a good way and we'd go for a break. We'd go back to boarding school. Um, but it was great fun. We loved it. Dogs, you know, animals, whatever else. And as, as I said before, it's a conventional farm. So lots of activity, you know, there was um, lots of different types of cropping and haymaking and, and um, we had, you know, sheep and cattle and all sorts of different enterprises within those sheep and cattle enterprises and trading. And it was fun, you know, I had no idea of the, um, the I guess the complexity and the, and the management required to do that. Um, Back then, there wasn't as much chemical use. We, I do remember, you know, slowly, slowly, I'd come back from school and paddocks would be sprayed and you kind of work, you know, what, what is this thing and then less, less ploughing. And so that was interesting. And again, I didn't really appreciate the significance of that um, until I finished school, finished university, and then a couple of years out of university and then came home and started managing that, you know, that was a new, uh, another layer of farming input that um, had developed in, in over, over, you know, a couple of decades um, that was which was part and parcel of, of our farming regime uh, back then. But yeah, mate, the life here is you know we're blessed. We're blessed. It's really interesting. You mentioned Charlie when you were younger that this concept of like getting stuck in and doing the task. You really brought me back to what it was like when I was <laughs> struggling now to not use the word growing up, but and the and the doing <laughs> of the of the tasks you actually you don't see the bigger picture and you can be forgiven for just sort of doing for the sake of doing especially when you're just following your your parents footsteps or your father's footsteps do you remember a point where you started to perhaps question the why behind the doing or why am i doing this particular task no there wasn't. Not when I was not not before, not before I came home. As I said, school, university, time out, back home, managing, and then some years later, it was about that time I started questioning it. So as a child, as a kid, you know, it was just what you did. You know, you uh, stuff happened, ploughing happened, cattle came in, they got drenched. You know, all this stuff was just. Um, it's what Dad did. It's you know, I guess he got advice. I mean, he he'd been farming for some years already, so. Um, at no point did I think or question why I was doing things like chipping thistles was a way to earn money and I didn't like them, you know, they look terrible, so I was happy to do it, you know, those sort of things. 
Um, no, there was there wasn't. I didn't question anything we did. Um, because uh, it's all fun, isn't it? Like that was great. Plowing, tractor work, yeah. stock work. It's great fun. Yeah, and even and not you know as 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 one um, uh, you know having finished school and, and and uni and all that sort of stuff, and then being older and uh, again we were I was perpetuating the systems and the management that, that I'd grown up with. But you're dead right. It was fun. You know, <clears throat> I like looking back at the paddock, going, "That's a really neat cloud paddock." Um, spraying paddocks, it's like everything's you know, neat and tidy and, and slashing or whatever, whatever the job is to say you're doing. You know, um, having all the cattle in different paddocks and kind of you know having I know they're there and they're there and you know, there was a sense of purpose. I guess it was a purpose. You know, with, with a with a different sort of construct or a different set of values back then, maybe or not even understanding the values, but it all made sense and. Yeah, that was um, it was fun, you know, and I I loved it, you know, and um, a dad I'm sure dad was under a lot more stress than he let on, um, for sure. And so in terms of as I said before, you know, the stress on management, the complexity, the machinations, the finances, the you know, all of that, I had no no idea. It was just it was just fun until again I came back to managing. Went whoa, what's a budget? You know, what's um, phone you know like no, no mobile phones back then so it was like and you know just starting from scratch and i don't you know this is maybe maybe an interesting thing for your listeners or viewers you know university i did four years of rural science right full on 40 units 10 a year a lot of lot of lot of study you know <clears throat> a lot of other shenanigans too given it was a you know university of new england up in armadale um, however um full-on course <clears throat> but nowhere did they really there was a bit of um, ag economics, I guess it was, but you know how to run a farm and how to do budgeting and apply it to a farming situation. <clears throat> you know, I was really went, went blind when I when I started. It was I was really running blind as to how to run a business. You know, I knew how to muster sheep and cattle. I knew, you know, how to organise a truck and get wheat stripped or whatever harvest. You know that, but in terms of how that <clears throat> ended up in the books, <clears throat> the significance of budgets and and ins and outs and profit and loss and and, um, uh, you know, people skills, learning people skills. I mean, I had reasonable people skills, but there were some lots of things I probably, you know, if I'd been exposed to or learnt or had been part of that university course, it's just so much that's, that's not science-based, you know, because my thing was a science degree and it was full-on science, which is fine, but it's only, what, I don't know, what percentage of the whole picture, you know. You can become a complete nerd at that, but if you if you don't know how to pull it all together like at university we had soil as a quick example soil soil chemistry physics and soil biology right different units pretty intense you know deep dives never ever did they pull them into the all together into a into a into the context of okay these all actually work together and this is how they do that you know that that's a good example of kind of how how these things we were taught things in isolation and not really um you know, put in, we did work experience, but like when you've got a work experience in university and that you got to 12 weeks in that time, in that four years, you're not, you're out there bloody chipping burrs or moving sheep, you know, you're not getting office experience. So office was foreign. I didn't like the office. We hardly had an office, you know. What was a computer? We didn't have computers. I had a diary, a big diary and a biro and the landline. Well, that was my business. You know, when I think about it, it's fascinating. We had someone who came in every six months and did the books, you know, like shoe boxes of receipts and all that shit. You know, it's like, it's just so different now, isn't it? 
And when you were at university studying these isolated components in science about farming, while you were studying, you weren't, was it while you were studying that you couldn't see the connections and later retrospectively seeing, hang on a minute, those things are really hard to put together? Or was it during the study? No, it was way later. It was way later when I actually, I mean, in terms of for that specific example of soil, it was in the last 10 or 15 years that I've that I have reflected upon my studies and thought, wow, that no, we didn't, there was not there wasn't not that, you know, how do they all mesh together and how do they actually work? Because um, that wasn't something you thought about as a farmer anyway. Forget about me who went to university, anyone who did go to university or just went into farming. We were, no one was talking, thinking about that, you know. Uh, maybe some more people in the organic space and progressive farmers and so on may have, you know, that's probably something they were thinking very much about and focusing on. But um, no, look, there was never a point where at university, hang on, now how's this all work? I just wanted to get the bloody unit done, you know, get the work done, pass, like anything more than more than a P for passes, you know, you, you'd work too hard. And um, get, my, get my four years through without having to do any repeats <clears throat> and then get out to the real world. You know, I already had a year off between school, school and uni. I went, to, went pearl diving up in the Kimberleys and uh, Arnhem Land. And so, so I knew I had a taste of it. I loved it. And that was something I totally, if anyone wants to go to university, I'd always recommend don't go straight from school. Um, I mean, I even question the whole university thing now, to be honest. Not because you can do it virtually, but because how how does that apply to our lives now? You know, that all that academic stuff, it makes sense. But experiential, you know, skill creation, <clears throat> I think is far more useful than, than a degree, you know. And you had a brilliant head start at that as a child being brought up on the farm. You can imagine those that, perhaps went to university from an, an urban setting to get a foot in the door into agriculture, how, I don't want to say irrelevant, because I don't want to, like we, you and I, I'm sure both agree there's a place for science, but man, it, it cannot replace boots on the ground. Totally. I think that what, what was, what I do appreciate is that I had that science background, you know, so I had a reference point, whether it was when I was conventionally farming, <clears throat> I knew my chemical regimes and whatever, or even, you know, when I, we started changing our farming practices and just weren't using as much chemical, for instance, at least I, I could have, I understood, again, it was a good reference point. I could, I, could, I could look back at that and go, okay, that's what I don't want to do anymore. And I know why I was doing it. So what do I have to now do that's kind of still going to do the job, so to speak, but not with, oh, excuse me. Sorry about that, bloody phone. Um, <laughs> it's nice to hear one. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is, if you can hear above that, it's not on copper anymore. So we used to have all our landlines on copper and it was hardwired, right? For 10 years, the bloody thing was out of the ground and sheep were nibbling on. I even rang Telstra many, many times. And I said, can you get, because we'd be on the phone talking to someone. And this is not so important now because we're mobiles, but literally you'd be talking to someone organising something and then it'd start raining and they'd go and cut out. For three days, like it was horror, horror story. Anyway, we put what up about that electric fences. I remember that as a kid. Yeah, we tick, could not tick, get tick. rid of the sound <laughs> of an electric fence in the bloody yeah. phone. <laughs> so I, I think that happened sometimes too. But um, we had we we actually the, the Telstra tower went down here the other day. Uh, telecommunications, so we had no Wi-Fi, no 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 internet, no phones for two days. I tell you what, you you understand how vulnerable you are. When that happens, literally, I had to go to the top of the hill to maybe 
get enough bars to make a phone call, but internet was totally down. So, I mean, that's a whole other conversation that we probably should have one day. But um, uh, where was I? Yes, um, I can't remember what the, what the question no, was. We're now. talking about, and I'd love to go there with you, like how do we, you know, not rely so heavily on such unreliable <clears throat> technology. But um, for the sake of time, because I know you and I both have uh, jobs to do, uh, we were talking about the sort of relevance of science and it's oh uh, yes the the sort of um you know where it fits not in else. yeah where it fits in um, yeah so you went away and you got some life experience I'm presuming you, you travelled a bit oh look you did my year between school and university pearl diving that was fantastic earned not much but had a whole lot of fun um and then four years in university. <clears throat> and then I worked in pubs in Sydney for two years. I did a bit of travel, but not much. Um, worked in pubs. And that was, that's where I learned people skills. Like that's, and my and my mum, of all people, suggested I go and do that. Not because you go and learn people skills. You said, oh, maybe it's about time out, a bit of time out. <clears throat> I tell you what, you know, dealing, nego- dealing with people, negotiation, human behaviour, um, responsibility, um, I don't know, so many different things that I learned. Um, it just picked up. It wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a training course, but it, you just, if you if you switched on, you can pick all that stuff. So that was those couple of years. Um, and then, yeah, back to the farm here to manage. And so that four-year four course at uni was very good for, for a reference point to, you know, how can we do, how can we spray things with different chemical and do a better job, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, what are newer technologies? Um, we tried quite a few things that were reasonably, you know, not, I wouldn't say at the forefront, but we're pretty progressive in our thinking about trying different things and experimenting and just trying to do a better job. And we're doing a pretty good job at the conventional farming, I have to say. And so science is always, it always is a good reference point. Um, however, it was through that sort of management and then, you know, I guess it was some tension events, you know, that with a bit of a few challenges that got me thinking back to your question about, you know, why am I doing this? Um, uh, you know, do I want to see my paddocks blow away to New Zealand every summer or, you know, in these, these extended long periods of dry weather? Um, do I want to be sending cattle on a gisman all over the country? Do I want to be feeding hay and grain through winter every year? You know, a lot of these questions came up um, and I was ready. I was ready. To, I, I wanted answers. Um, I wanted answers because I was, I was not content, I guess, you know, and my, and my, I was starting to understand my, my my behaviours weren't aligned with my values, you know. So my values, I didn't really even know what values were in terms of, you know, I'm a person and I have these set of values that I live by. That was not even, I mean, that's a, that, that would have been nice if that had been taught at university, actually. Um, but that wasn't. And But it's something that you sort of discover over time and but often painfully. Um, and then, you know, I lucky, luckily to, lucky enough to, you know, meet some people, did some courses that that took me on the, I guess, the journey I'm on now. Um, but you know, that that I always refer back to that course in some ways, even if it's just like shit. I don't want to do that that anymore. You know, and it's good. And then when you're having conversations with um, with anyone, and the you know conventional farmers, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to sound like conventional farmers are bad people at all. I was a conventional farmer. I used to do things differently now. And that's 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 a simple. That's as far as we have to take that. You know. Um, and when I am talking to conventional farmers and they're questioning me or asking me about what I'm doing now, I, I can I can refer back to things that we used to do that they're still doing, which is fine. It's like you know what you know how you bear summer fellow, right? Bear summer fellow, as your listeners and viewers might know, you 
Well, certainly here you spray the crap out of everything after harvest in December, November. You keep it bare and fallow all through summer and it gets cooked. And the whole idea being you retain moisture because there's nothing growing there. Um, and then you're ready to go for when you, you know, you, you put the, put the combine in. So those things, I can have those conversations and they, and I'm not just foreign to it, making stuff up, you know. You're not just a, some. Evangelist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it gives you a bit of perspective. I think it's really valuable when you want to relate to farmers. It's um, probably nothing more powerful. And so you started to learn, you come home, you get into the books, you're like, hang on a minute. You had some questions. You've formed some values and we may, I'd like to actually hear like what were some of your non-negotiables when you started to create yourself as, as a human being with, with values or with, with morals or maybe not morals, but what was I still don't have them. Um, um, Now what I, yeah, good question. I guess, um, I mean, I did Landmark um, uh, back in 2003 or four, I reckon, four or five even. And that was, a, that was a bit of a turn in terms of values and like being living an authentic life and so on. That was, um, that was life-changing for me. Um, it was a really good addition to... I was about, well, it was really about the same time I started changing my farming practices anyway. So it kind of, you know... It was like grazing for profit, and I know you appreciate things because you've, you've done the landmark course. You know, grazing for profit, which is an RCS rural, rural um, resource consulting service Australia um, holistic farming course, right? You know, that's for farming, and, and landmark for me is like GFP for life. You know, it's grazing for profit for life. You know, and so it really a lot of the things I I, I, I applied to my farming life and my personal life and all those sort of things. So. Um, I guess you know that was that was that was a real turning point. Um, uh, and so, in terms of values, look, in authenticity. I mean, some of them are pretty bloody, you know, um, cliched. But I mean, honesty. You know, um, people. You know, just 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 engaging with people. You know, and and having fun um, uh, is really important. You know, to be playful um, at the appropriate times. I think it's always appropriate to be playful. But there's different degrees of it, you know what I mean? Um, uh, yeah, sometimes you're that guy. Yeah, I mean, you can be that, that guy that, you know, it's not like, because a lot of people, and maybe I, maybe this is the, 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 the reason why I am or have been, is, is it's, it's overcompensating for something else, you know, whether it's to just, you know, it, it, there's, it's not always, and landmarks that helps to identify some of those things. You're the funny guy because you want to be liked and you're, you know, you're, you're a pleaser. Um, and so, look, you know, we have a value statement um, which sort of um, integrates, you know, our personal values, Angelica and mine, into our farming sort of business. And we expect, and I don't think it's un, un, unreasonable to expect that our the people in the business share similar values. And if they don't, then they don't last long. Or if they don't and they stay in the business and I, being an avoider, don't do something about it, it can be, it can be very very taxing and very just very yeah it can be bloody horrible for business you know if you've got the wrong people in the business um and that's you know that that's happened here before absolutely um uh and you know again me not liking conflict and being a pleaser i've just sort of you know roll with it but then as i do um get older 
uh, I'm much more appreciative of the impact it has. And at the moment, we have an amazing team here, I've got to say. There's a lot of estrogen here, John O. A lot of women. Well, I don't say a lot of women, but but we have, you know, more, 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 more females and males, if I can, if I can be so binary about that. Um, <laughs> so so and and I tell you what, they mates are making such a huge difference, you know, because of their attitude, their nurturing capacity, their respect for gear. And that's not to say the guys here don't respect gear. I'm not sort of saying good or bad, but I'm just saying in terms of just a just a, whole, a lovely, lovely attitude to life, and we're dealing with nature, and they are nurturers, so it makes more, it makes a lot of sense to have to have them as, as really key people, um, key people in our business. And on this note, you know, we talk about your transformational experience during the Landmark Forum, and women involved in your farm. You met a special one at that time. <laughs> I did. I did. Did I tell you about that? Yeah, I know about uh, this one. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> this is maybe why it was such a significant point in your life. Life. Yeah, well, it, it's okay. I'll, I'll tell the story. So I was, um, I was, it's one of those things, mate, you know, you hear about this course and then within a month, three, three people say you should go and do it, you know. Um, and uh, I never quite worked out why they said, you know, they just said you should go and do it. Anyway, I did. And at that course, I saw um, a lady, beautiful lady. I saw the back of her head. She was sitting in the front row wearing an orange singlet. Uh, singlet. Um, I wish. No, I'm going to orange T-shirt. The T-shirt was enough. Blue jeans, beautiful long black hair. And I fell in love with the back of her head. I didn't even see her face. I went, my God, if that's the back of her head, she must be amazing. Anyway, she's chatting away. And as through the course of the three or four days, um, I got to know her. Um uh, Angelica is her name, and she's now my wife. Um, and so we, it was really interesting. I had some shit idea, sort of, so did she. We, we, we were, it's a really interesting, as you appreciate, because you've been there. It's a really interesting place to meet and understand and, and get to know someone because you are stripped to bare bones and you're not hiding anything. You know, if you can get away with doing those three or four days and it's still hide stuff, then man, you're a criminal or something. I don't know. But, and so we did the advanced course a month later together. You know, we sort of said, look, you know, this is great. I really, you know, she, she didn't, didn't have the money at the time, single mum, two kids, couldn't do the 800 bucks or for the advanced course. And I said, look, I, in all sincerity, I'm not trying to, you know, sweet talk you. This is, this is totally out of the goodness of my heart. I want you to do this course. You need to do this course for your kids' sake. If any. We did the course and then it was six months later, we sort of got back together and, and you know, and, and, and away we went, you know. So, yeah, it's, it was a, so I guess, yes, it holds a special place in my heart what happened at that course, but it was a, it's just such a, um, an amazing, yeah, amazing place. You know, you're not like the pub or the nightclub, you know, trying to be a cool guy and then they find out you're a dickhead three months later, you know, like they find out everything that you have done and shouldn't be doing and did do and whatever within three days. So, no, it's yeah, fascinating. And you find out as well often for the first time. That, well, that's it. Good point. Yeah, you sort of, you know, really, I do that. And, and as, you, as you well know, that Socratean forum where people are, are talking about their own stories and their own lives and their own experiences, which may be totally, you know, from a sort of an um, initial point of view, like, you know, I'm nothing like them. I'm not a doctor. I don't live in the city. I'm not a whatever, whatever the thing is. I'm not a girl, whatever. 
But, you know, wow, you can so see the parallels, can't you? And I do this and I do that. And I'm like, God, you know, really? Is that how I behave? And all the meaning that we attach to different things when we're children, all those things. So, um, yeah, no, I was, I, 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 you know, recommend people do it. I don't, you know, it's, it's something that I, I don't make it a thing that all our staff have to do it. I do know some organisations do, and that's fine. I think there's some merit in that, but it's, it's, um, you've got to be ready, you know, you've got to be ready for it, haven't you? And tell me, how much did meeting Angelica affect or, or did it affect the way you farmed? Was that the beginning of something actually out on the land? Yep. Absolutely. Good question. So I had, I'd started my journey. I'd had some tension events and challenges and, you know, points of, of, um, uh, of deflection and which were good. And then that sort of then got me to landmark and meeting her. And then she was organic. She ate organic. She fed her children organic. She'd go without if she had to, you know, if she had to just to make sure her kids were, were, um, were fed organic food and she sourced that and, and she, um, she was all over that stuff. She'd done a lot of work on herself and mentally and, you know, and, and physically, and she was all over it. And so that was a great, you know, revelation to me because I was, I'd stopped spraying and stuff everything by then because I said, oh, that's not what I want to do. But then she really made it very much clearer to me the impact of that, you know, family in a, in a landscape that's got essentially poisons, you know, being sprayed around the whole time, sourcing organic food. Why didn't I grow my own veggies? Because I wasn't growing my own veggies at the time. You know, up to that point of, of getting rid of all our cropping and so on, I would never have grown, I've never have baked a loaf of bread with the wheat that I grew, you know. It would have been a horror story, but I was happy to sell it to other people and poison their kids, you know. So she was, back to your question, Jono, she was pivotal in kind of accelerating my personal appreciation and growth of of what it is to not just do but think very differently you know because we're changing things in the paddock a lot we're changing a lot of things in the paddock um and some and, and things were changing up here in the paddock between my ears as well where it must always you know happen first but um in the domestic situation you know steiner we're, we're biodynamic farmers and, and rudolf steiner being the father of biodynamics and many other things you know, he talks about external cultivation and internal cultivation. And I was pretty all over the external cultivation being just farming outside. And then you got to bring that food into the kitchen. And what happens there? It's got to be loved, you know. Good food can be really destroyed if it's not loved and not treated well. And she was a pro at that, you know. So um, the, that, that interface between family and, I'm using the word domestic, not in a derogatory way, but just that sort of family um, zone, let's just say, using permaculture words, um, and the farming that became much more. Um, I was much more appreciative of the of the impact of that and the and the, and the importance, you know. But she, you know, she had a, she had her struggles with farming. She was not from farming background. Um, she was from entertainment industry, you know, Melbourne based city girl, and so her her time here when we were married so was 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 challenging, you know. Um, uh, so-called isolation she felt isolated and, and um, uh, just expectation of what it was to be a farmer's wife and you know inheriting a homestead full of furniture and stuff that was mum's you know that's I never appreciated what that means to to someone to lovely to be you know to inherit that sort of stuff and there it is and you know what a gift 
but that comes with you know the legacy of other things and so um she struggled but she's yeah no we've we've um we're back now we, we spent some time away and i was commuting for different reasons backwards and forwards but we we moved back to the farm end of last year and she's really finding her feet which is wonderful you know and, and bring color and vibrancy and different things different aspects to what we're doing here now which is lovely and her being more involved with the business um, not out there moving sheep but just some of the projects we've got on the go, some agri-tourism kind of things. And she's an amazingly creative person. So, you know, a farm can be a, 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 camp, a wonderful campus for creativity. And there's the, again, the, you know, the sheep, your cattle, your grass, your trees and blah, blah, blah. But then there's also the people aspect and the culture that, that you can create as well. It's, it's, you know, just as important. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned that your brother was a creative and, you know, what a canvas a farm is. You know, like it actually is a creative uh, thing to do. It's, it's, it's got to be creative. Otherwise, you're just box ticking. And uh, coming back to this notion of, uh, you said it so brutally honest. Like, I appreciate you for this. You said, you know, you were happy to grow wheat Conventionally, you weren't going to eat it, but you'll happily give it to someone else. Was it? I would assert that back then you didn't know or didn't have the connection that you're growing food. No, <clears throat> no, I was a commodity farmer for sure, <clears throat> and uh, and and um, we just wanted to grow it. And you know, yes, it was a yield thing, and and then some. Well, it was, it was always a yield thing. You know. <laughs> I was going to say, hang on a minute. Yeah. Quantity, quantity was always the thing. Quality was second, second to that. Um, really, at the end of the day. Um, but even the quality metrics weren't suitable for food. Like the quality metrics are protein percentage, storability, yeah. yield, yeah. none yeah. of which respects the end where that thing goes. The eater. Yeah, that's right. You know, and that's. Look, it's a reflection of the system and the food system that is, is, is you know, developed over the last number of decades. And um, but there was certainly, you know, and back to Angelica, she was certainly one that helped me appreciate, you know, that food is not just food. Um, and we had the opportunity to grow nutritionally dense food, uh, and we did, and we do. And um, quality is as is probably more important because if it is good quality, then the, the the quantity will look after itself, you know. Um, dare I say and so yeah the minute I sort of appreciated that I was a, a grower of food that was going to contribute positively or negatively to someone's health or kid or, or children's health was more, more pointed yeah that was that was a point at which um, you know it just it just helped cement my my commitment to reducing chemical use as I said we don't use any in the paddocks just a bit of animal health stuff you know, when we have to, just because it's there, it's like, you know what, I appreciate the fact that, you know, modern or conventional farming has, you know, it's, it's, it's role to play, a bit like when, you know, we were speaking the other day and you had your your accidents, you know, thank God that there's conventional, you know, means to um, uh, treat animals and humans, you know, we can't do without that. Um, uh, we, but, you know, the, the, the we can all, never step totally away from that, I don't think. Um, because it's you know to have the op have the op have the op op option to do it is always is always just a bloody smart thing to do, but you know the comfort of moving further away and less animal inputs and so on. But um, 
Yeah, look, it's 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 you know, Angelica has certainly been a catalyst for for the appreciation I have now for the quality of food and our responsibility in in, in producing it. Hmm. And are you are you blanket drenching, Charlie, or is it just as needed per individual? Nah. Yep. Yeah, look, we didn't. I reckon there was probably <clears throat> fifteen years we didn't drench any animal on here at all, and then we just went cold turkey. You know, we didn't. We stopped vaccinating and stopped drenching, and we we introduced more supplements like um, uh, um, uh, sulfur and copper and bentonite and lots of different things as as free choice. You know, to try and offset that. Um, so worm burden wasn't really a thing. Um, the summers, the last couple of summers have challenged that um, in terms of, um, you know, worm burden and we're, we're introducing more sheep. So our grazing management and our fencing infrastructure is probably not supporting as many sheep as we have on right at the moment. So, and across the board, Eastern Australia, there's not one farmer I know that didn't struggle with barber's pole um, intestinal worm this season. Um, we're, we're worm testing every three weeks. Um, we're, you know, doing, we're putting up more fences and so we're able to control graze our, our sheep a lot more. So no, never blanket, haven't done blanket drenching for many, many years, um, but we have done, um, uh, when we had to and when we've chosen to, just to um, uh, do that, you know, on the odd occasion. But interesting. Who's there? Who's in the back? Hey, Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> He's sneaking around. Oh, you're printing for Lua. <laughs> you don't do an urgent, urgent pre session. Um, so yeah, look, it's not you know that that would be prescriptive ag, wouldn't it? Yeah, that'd be like, oh, it's October, you better give them a drench. Um, and we used to do a lot of that, you know, whether it was application of um, uh, pesticide, herbicide um, in cropping or animals. It's like, oh, you know, and like we, there's probably been times when we probably should have um, done a bit more conventional. You know, treatment of animals here and there, but you learn. Um, and you know, the whole biosecurity thing, I'm much more aware of that now, you know, in terms of trade animals coming in, um, what they can potentially bring in, um, how to treat them, protocols, induction, those sort of things. So it's been, you know, it's not all beer and skittles. It's it's in the, you know, it's not all it's not about going, oh, I love this regenerative farming stuff. I'm going to stop doing everything all of a sudden and go cold turkey. That's what I did, and I, I wouldn't suggest anyone do that. Um, it's all about the speed and the and the confidence that you have to to progress that and get good advice and you know don't throw everything out the door in one go. Um, especially from a financial point of view, I think it's really important that everyone's comfortable with any transitions. Um, an experiment, you know, something came to me a few months ago now, you know, three times in, in a day, you know, a podcast and a thing I read in here, and it was just one of those light bulb moments, like experimentation is a good thing, you know, like just trying things. Don't do, spend a whole lot of money and it doesn't have to be in a massive experiment, but just keep your mind open to different ways of doing things. Um, just to progress your thinking and, and that's been a bit of a theme now you know I, I was getting stuck on doing things and not experimenting um or doing too much experimentation as in just going blanket we're going to do this now you know and i think there's there's a lot to be said for just stepping into things tentatively do the homework um get good advice use your intuition as well because you're you, you need you know one needs to consider that and there's ways around ways to 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 throw that in the mix and um that's 
that's been that's been really helpful. We have having said all that though, John, we don't have the golden, we don't have the silver bullet. You know, we don't we're 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 improving every day or we're 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 challenged every day and we're we're looking at things different every day. So I, I you know I'm really conscious that <clears throat> I don't want anyone thinking that um, we or anyone else that's kind of you know talks about this style of farming a lot um, is suggesting it's a silver bullet because it needs to be considered. It's a needs to be considered. You know, there needs to be discernment used at how one adopts these um, sort of things, or maybe more 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 appropriately adapts them. You know, get away from that prescriptive style of agriculture and looking at adapting things to your situation, your budget, your landscape, your animals on board, your resources, the people in your business, all those things. I think the title of your podcast actually defines it really well is that it is a journey and yeah. you're never at a destination. Yeah, totally. It, it's um, because what do you do? If you get you reach your destination, what do you do? You, well, you either, you either, you know, you, you atrophy or you're dead. You know, there's, there's, there's really, um, and we can always, you know, it's, it's important to set a destination or have someone to go to, but it's also, I think, really important to keep planning, you know, uh, adapting, um, whether that's in a farming context or a life context, context um, you know, I guess accepting things, I've become much better at accepting what is um, and not fighting what, what I expected things to be or how I think things should be. Um, you know, in any, any aspect of my life, I still struggle in some, but, you know, there's still, you know, and as we do get a little older, you know, um, you know, we do start realising we are getting closer to, to you know, termination um, and life does take on, uh, and I trust for me, it will continue to take on a, a more important, you know, the role of, of, of happiness and having fun and feeling purposeful is, is, is much more front of mind for me. Um, I still do stop every now and again and go, what the hell am I doing this for? You know, like, my God, you know, how did I get to... I don't know, whatever, be somewhere, do something. And um, you have to, I, uh, my vigilance in, in actually considering my time as being the most precious commodity I have, um, you know, because if you don't manage it, someone else will, and you'll be dead before you know it, and you'll, on your deathbed, you'll be going, what the hell? You know, is that so many accounts of, you know, individuals who just, you know, it's about I should have had more fun, not worried about what people thought as much, been more active, physically active, you know, moved more, made sure I had a sense of purpose and spent more time with my family and friends. You know, that's that's the formula for, for uh, a wonderful life. Yeah. Yeah, if I've ever heard one, for sure. And so you've you've been farming for quite some time now. And I mentioned your podcast before. You're now you're doing podcasts. Um, what else fills in your your days? Because it's not all on farm, right? I know you've got Fun. a bit going on. Give us a bit of a yeah. rundown. Well, it's funny you say that because I, was, I, was, I do I do as part of my morning routine now. I do something called rounding, which is an hour of sort of yoga. It's kind of yoga moves. It's an hour of eighty kind of a thing. Yoga, I guess it's kind of yoga. 20, 25 minutes of that, and there's some breathing exercises and some some meditation and so on. And like I was mid meditation this morning. And I just, which seems to me to be a really good time for just, you know, thinking and ideas. And I just was starting jotting down some of the projects because I like compartmentalizing things into projects because then you can actually kind of 
project managed. And so, yeah, look, the Regenerative Journey um, podcast is certainly something we've been at it for a bit over three years now. It's actually three years <clears throat> nearly to the day. Um, uh, we're doing, we're kicking off season seven, of which you will be uh, contributing to, Jono, your, your lovely interview we had there the other day. Um, so that's going to kick off in a couple of weeks' time. Um, there'll be 13, 14, 15 episodes of that. I've still got a few episode um, interviews to do and I've still got the top and tailing and all that sort of stuff to do, all that sort of production, which I have a uh, lovely uh, Reese to do that for me, but I still got to do the talking bits. Um, we've got a webinar series coming up, which may inter interest <clears throat> some of your listeners um, near and far because it's starting on the, um, at the end of July. And I had a meeting with the team um, yesterday of those involved. And I'll tell you what, it is um, fantastic. We have, um, so we're doing seven modules, if I can give it a quick plug, seven modules, um, one a week, um, we, you know, which, which basically stretch across the, the sort of breadth of um, regenerative, not just regenerative farming, regenerative farming, regenerative living, okay? So we've got visions and goals with um, Katie Zerner from RCS over here. Um, she's gonna do some visions and goals stuff. Then we've got, um, I hope you're gonna get the right order. Nicole Masters, one of your, your good people over there, she's going to contribute as well, doing a module on soil health, because like after you sort of get your head into the visions and goal space, it's like what's one of the next important things is like get the soil, you know, get the soil right, grow the good food, grow good animals. Um, we've got Sheree Gooding, who's um, Dr. Sheree Gooding is a wonderful alternative vet. She's got some, um, uh, she's doing a module on animal health. Um, Cindy O'Meara, she's going to be talking human health and you know how that relates to sort of farm and food. Um, we've got Brian Warburg, who's one of Australia's top um, holistic management facilitators and educators. <clears throat> um, uh, Kim Deans, who's going to be doing, um, she's a biodynamic farmer in New South Wales. She's going to be talking about farm finances and, and um, profitability and cash flow and that sort of thing. Um, and I'm going to be, oh, Stuart Andrews as well, who is going to be talking about landscape function and natural sequence farming. I think I've got all seven there. Um, we've got two boys and five girls, so that's a, that's that's kind of a nice thing. It wasn't something I set out to do, but just like <clears throat> you know, that made perfect sense. Um, and so that's going to kick off. We've also that's sort of like a, um, a primer for something we're going to be looking at next year, so a, a um, educational platform for next year. Um, we've got some agro agro yes, some agroforestry stuff going on here, plant tree planting, um, vegetation, carbon vegetation project. We're looking at starting maybe a soil carbon project. We're talking with a mob called Impact Ag Partners about that today, actually. Um, we've got some agritourism Airbnb thing opening up in a couple of weeks' time. We're putting a lot of work into. Um, and somewhere there of some general farm improvements of infrastructure so we can keep these bloody sheep where they need to stay, um, putting some more trees in. Um, and also this vegetation carbon project involves a mob... Um, called Metatrees, where people can buy a tree and we plant it for them and we look after it for them. And um, it's really interesting project and they're planting 25,000 trees here over five years. So lots going on. And then somewhere there, John, and I are going to fit into some family stuff, you know, mum and dad, brother, um, Angelica and our two children. So mate, a bit going on, but um, I am, at, having said all of that, uh, I am at a point in my life where I'm actually, I am looking very closely at what we are doing, what we shouldn't be doing what we should do more and more of and less of. So um, it's a good reminder. Thank you, John, for asking that question that sometimes we are, you know, stepping into things that we probably don't need to or, you know, should have done years ago or we should wait and 
put on the shelf for a few years. But um, yeah, that's that's what that's what we're up to at the moment. Apart from I'm enjoying our little sit down here, John. It means I can just sit still and have a chat with you for <clears throat> for the hour. That's that's always a good thing. Mm. Yeah, and you said it kind of in a different way right at the beginning. Like and and because what I heard there is like maybe some things we shouldn't do at all, uh, but maybe not with the morality. But you brought up an interesting point that I've been wondering for some time about actually the thought of trying to revert back to the way things were however many centuries ago mm. and actually how we're not in that same place now so why would we it's it's you know dare i say it like the climate is always changing so if we're trying to get back somewhere that is in the past it may not be what the environment actually is needing right now and it's the same for people like your goals 20 years ago i'm sure uh maybe not so relevant now very different. Yeah, well, I, totally different. Uh, um, and that's, you know, there's some maturity there. There's just the, you know, ageing process, the um, different perspective, maybe some changing values or appreciation of. Um, well, that, yeah, I mean, we're, we're um, you know, the, the simple sort of way to explore that for a second is, you know, we plant, we plant native trees like gums and you know, the bottles and stuff, but also a lot of other exotic species. And people, you know, some people often question that and, and others who do the similar thing. And and um, and so I just say, look, if you think these exotic species shouldn't be here and we should just be planting natives, well, maybe we should get rid of the sheep and cattle and we're all whiteies, we should we don't belong here either. So let's just like abandon sheep. If that's if that's the way of thinking, you know, but like what point, where do you draw the line on oh, what should stay and go and what's exotic and what's not? Um, and you know, you guys have a great example of a of a Nicole Masters was saying the other day of a of a, of a we call them like a, a waterfowl or a bush not a bush chook or waterfowl a coot I can't think what you caught over there the black ones with the red I think they've got a red or a blue beak you know they turned up in New Zealand a thousand years ago they're not native necessarily but they are now you know and so you know are they native because they've been there long before you know current sort of the white population and and and, and the the disturbance of nature, you know. So, and then you hear in Australia, you know, this landscape needs healing. This landscape needs putting in intensive care. And when you do, when someone, a person goes to intensive care, you throw everything you can at them, you know, um, everything to keep them alive and everything to help them heal. And it's the case, it's same, same with this landscape. You know, there are wounds here, there are incisions, there's all sorts of disturbances that, that um, you know, crimes committed that um, need uh, need healing and, and it's the same if it's a willow on a creek or it's an oak on a hill or it's a you know whatever let's just use them let's restore the landscape I mean I actually prefer the word generative agriculture than regenerative because regenerative means it feels like you're getting it back to a point mm. Gener generative agriculture is like kind of you just you just you just generate what you just it's a generative philosophy on you know you, you you're generating um, soil carbon you're generating diversity you're generating um, divert, you know, above and below ground diversity, all those things, and so you're not beholden to a point in time or a or a or a destination. You're just going. We just know that pushing things in that direction is a good thing, and so you know, then then away you go. You're off on your journey, and you're you're not beholden to. Oh, I can't do this, and shouldn't do that because that's not native, and that's not how it used to be. We're so, as you say, we're so beyond that now that. Um, there's no point 
you know, that things are changed so differently, you know, when, you know, and that's, that goes with a lot of things, doesn't it? You know, you're changing, your age changes and so things are going to be different. Um, the period of time I've been on this farm is changing. So my view on things is different, you know, different technologies come along, you know? Um, so yeah, I guess the thing is, you know, as, as has been said, if you're not, you know, if you're not green and growing, you're brown and dead or, or dying, you know, so keeping things moving in a direction and, and, and momentum, momentum is really important. That's mm. kind of like um, what is here. It's kind of like, like uh, there are things that we resist. Like for instance, in New Zealand, uh, there's things like possums that, and, and like uh, rodents that, you know, the, the narrative is that it threatens certain native species of, you know, bird and, and yada, yada. And so the solution has been for some time, uh, or what, what's been uh, getting done is, is we put on the stuff called 1080 poison and it poisons everything. And we think, oh, that's, that's the solution. And to what cost? Yeah. Like, because there's something that we don't like. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I, I kind of come back to, you've kind of touched on this, but maybe not intentionally and definitely not directly, but it's like, if it's here and it's growing, maybe it's meant to be here, a bit like you and I. Yeah, uh, that's a really good point, John. I think we are, you know, in my old you know, mindset of waking up every morning killing stuff because I just, I thought uh, <clears throat> my training and my experience had led me to think that um, uh, it was my responsibility to make things a certain way and that shouldn't be there, whether it's a weed or an animal or whatever. And, and you're right. The, the weeds are a great example, aren't they? It's like, oh, bloody Scott thistles. I think you call them California thistles or something over there or similar. They don't look good. They're spiky. You can't ride your bike through them in summer. <clears throat> they look horrible and they take up moisture and they're oh, they're bloody terrible things. And you don't want them in your front paddock because all your neighbours go, you're a bad farmer. And so um, we spray them. And I spent, oh, I got tens of thousands of dollars spraying blue thistles out of, you know, out of pasture. <clears throat> Do you think I got rid of them? Never. No. I knocked them back for a year and then something else would come along and probably worse, you know. So that's, I think it's just one of those things of just, an example of stopping and having a deep think about, you know, why it's there, accumulating nutrients, deep tap root, covering up the ground. In this case, the, the, sort of these plants sort of situation. But you're dead right. It's animals there too. Like, you know, there's um, that great, great story about putting the wolves back into Yellowstone, you know, that the they had taken the wolves out and the beavers, was it the, the wolves came out so there was no natural predator of the beavers and the beavers went bananas and, Everything was falling down because they were eating everything. And, you know, it was just, you know, riparian zone dysfunction, basically. And then um, putting them back in, which everyone, oh, the wolves are going to eat things and that's terrible. It's like, no, they actually need to go back in. That's a case of, you know, what we think shouldn't have been there actually did need to stay there or be put back in. And so and how quickly it reverted and healed after reintroduction. Say again. And just how, like, amazing how quickly in that case quickly. of Yellowstone, yeah, the, the function was brought back after that's them right. back. Yeah, and and, well, and really, it's such a simple thing, isn't it? You know, put that predator species back in, and that sort of hierarchy of, mm. of function, and then and things do. And it's a, yeah, it's the same here. You know, we, you know, diversity generally, biodiversity generally is a good thing. You know, I think it's you know it just adds to the rich tapestry of a farm's a farm's fabric and the and the the way it works, the way it functions, and um, 
and it's and it, I guess yeah, it builds resilience too, doesn't it? There's that word, you know. It just it, it's sort of it's another layer of of strength and and filling a gap, um, you know. And when there's a gap, whether it's you know animal health or or pasture and weeds or whatever you want to call them, you know, there's nature will throw will recruit something, put it in there, and it knows best um, to to fill the gap and do the job, you know. So it's interesting how we've seen different plant species succeed and otherwise in our pastures just with letting them do their thing and grazing them and not getting too carried away and, and really you know it's been years since we sprayed anything but um it's fascinating to see as you mentioned there before sometimes stopping doing things is actually what needs to happen not 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 starting doing things charlie what would you say to someone who's perhaps just starting their journey maybe they've just come back to their farm starting to question things or you know, said differently, what would you say to yourself looking back as a young, you know, uh, just coming on as the manager? What would you say to this person just starting their journey? I would say the first place to change is the paddock between your ears. You know, like getting gung-ho and buying equipment or applying tools, big or small in the landscape. Um, first is probably not what I'd suggest to do, just to do the homework work out how adapting some different methods is going to, you know, fit with your budget, your resources, your temperament, you know, your situation. Step into it lightly, you know, it's, and it's not going to be the silver bullet. Uh, no one's saying it is. And, um, and yeah, just, just, just align these potential practices with your values and make sure they do align. And, and with your resources, it's really important, you know. Um, and, yeah, I, I'd say step into it. Step into it um, gently. Read read books. Find a find a tribe of people that are kind of on the same um, same wavelength. Um, you know, again, before you go out and change change the world or change your farm, all that, just get comfortable with the notion of it all and ask lots of ask ask lots of questions. Be better at asking questions is probably the other thing of yourself and of others. And Charlie, I know like what comes to mind straight away is, you know, go and check out the Charlie Arnott Regenerative Journeys podcast. Where can people find that and other things you're doing? Yeah, sure. Um, look, the, any, I think pretty much any most um, podcast platforms, you'll find it, Regenerative Journey. Um, our webinar series will be on our website, charliearnott.com.au. That'll be up in a, within a week, I think. Um, that will be seven, seven, seven weeks, um, seven modules, but they also include a farm tour here. Um, in that in that ticket price, um, and uh, which will have Stuart Andrews here doing some demonstrations, and we'll be doing some biodynamic demonstrations. So it'll be a pretty good thing. So that's on our website in the events. Um, very shortly, if you want to keep be kept up with what we're doing, just drop us an email on that website, and we'll keep you informed of what else is going on. Um, we're on Instagram, Facebook, all those other things. Um, I think that's that's pretty much it, John. That's the main thing. Well, we're doing a bit of YouTube stuff too, um, but uh, we've got a Patreon um, group as well. So if you want to sort of get some extra extra things like the Q and A, we'll get to do. John, will be for our Patreon members only. Uh, for ten bucks a month, you can get a whole lot of extra stuff. So that's where that's that's the that's the drill, John. Thank you for for having me. It's been lovely. Always always good to chat, and um, I'll be back over with the family to New Zealand within twelve months. I reckon it's just a lovely place. You can come to my house when it's got some furniture. We don't have to go and rob uh, and make our own desktop and, and use workshop uh, furniture to That's record it. a podcast. Yeah, Charlie, mate, 
Thank you so much. It must be about time because Keith's come in the door. He's ready to go and do some work, mate. You have a good, good. wonderful rest of your day. Thanks, John. I really appreciate it. Lovely to chat.